Welcome to Ripcord's Codscast. And now, on with the show. Hola! Welcome back to Ripcord's Codscast, the Circus of Dead Squirrels podcast. Today, I will be doing my second album commentary episode. I've already done Indoor Recess, so now it's time to move on to my very favorite CODS album, The Pop Culture Massacre and The End of the World Sing-Along Songbook, or more commonly called just The Pop Culture Massacre. So again, I will be listening to each of the tracks and giving you my thoughts, some memories, explaining some of the lyrics, all that good stuff. That's all coming up. But before we do that, I'll give you a little bit of some background information leading up to the album and, uh, you know, some information about recording the album just to kind of give you an idea of where we were at this time and what led to this album. So after Indoor Recess, we put together a full live band. We obviously still had me, Dan Raphael, and John Beeler, but we also had uh, our good friend Derek Sendrick, who's been on the podcast a few times already. We had a guitarist, Jason Kelly, our bassist, Matt Nodland, who would be in the band for many years, Nick Tomiso, our drummer. We've talked about him, too. Uh, he actually just recently passed away. Craig Douglas replaced him at some point as our drummer. And uh, we had a, a good friend from high school, Dennis Baum, who would also stay in the band for many years. Uh, he was our keyboardist. A lot of these guys were switching between guitar and bass and even keyboards, so I'm not good. I can't remember everybody's position. But we had we always had a full band of, like, at least seven people, typically, six, seven, eight people. It was exciting. It felt like we were really getting our shit together and we were playing more shows. The Pop Culture Massacre would have been the album, if you listened to the episode I did with John, this would have been the one that Invisible Records, owned by shitbag Martin Atkins, would have released. And honestly, I don't know, maybe could have taken off more if we had some label support. I don't really think so. After talking to that guy, I think he had his head up his ass. But I don't think the fucking album would have came out as good if they did it. Because this guy was telling us that Indoresis was a bit abrasive. So he wanted us to tone it down a little bit. And, and personally, I think Pop Culture Massacre was pretty fucking intense. And maybe even more so than Indoresis. And I am very happy that it came out that way. You know, songs like Overpopulation, Annihilation, Losing Touch. I mean, these were some of our most hard-hitting, brutal songs. And I don't think Mr. Prissy would have like that too much so he probably would have watered down the album so it's probably a good thing that we didn't get signed <laughs> this would have been the album though that could have been our first label release and that would have been exciting but like i said i think maybe it was a blessing in disguise so anyway we put out into recess we put together this band and obviously the very next thing to do is do a follow-up album so we started writing songs uh, and the, the main thing that was different about this was there's two songs that the other guys actually helped write and we actually um, put together as a live band instead of sitting in front of a fucking computer like we typically do. And those songs were Losing Touch and Prize Fighter, which were written by uh, Jay Kelly, Derek Sendrick, and even Matt Nodlin helped out. But we put them together as a live band. So that was a, a totally different experience for us and it's hard to believe, but we would never do that again. Every other song we'd ever write for this band would be just like Indoor Racist sitting in front of a computer programming. I, and I was actually looking forward to doing more of that, but as you'll find out within the story, the band kind of keeps falling apart. <laughs> we didn't keep going that way. 
Otherwise, the rest of the songs were written the same way Indoor Recess was, where we, it was basically me and Dan and John, for the most part, some of the other guys would come by and help out, but it was mostly the three of us putting these songs together again. And then I started writing the lyrics, and that's when this thing kind of took its shape of what it would be as far as having a theme and everything. I decided to have more of a concept behind this album instead of it just being random songs like Indoor Recess was. I tied it all together by adding all these samples, um, you know, from, from various pop culture references we used uh, from McDonald's to Sesame Street to, you know, all kinds of movies, everything, you know, just it, it had tons of samples in it. And then we put the PSAs, the little commercials in between the tracks to kind of tie it more together. And uh, yeah, it, I, I remember a lot of people that we knew and, you know, just showing people things and even though that some of the band members thought maybe we were going too far where it's just like you can't use this stuff i mean we don't have the rights to put all these samples in there and we just didn't really give a shit because we didn't have any money i must admit i think there was a part of me that kind of secretly hoped that we get sued because that would give us some sort of attention at least there's no such thing as bad publicity right and if we don't have any money they really can't take much from us so i didn't really felt i didn't really feel like we had much to lose but so much so that when we were done with the album, we actually, Mark had told us, he, we had an argument that it was fair use and satire. And if we ever did get sued by anybody, you know, that's a pretty good defense. And we actually met with our lawyer about it and he agreed and was ready to go. It was ready, but, you know, bring on the lawsuits. <laughs> and uh, we were kind of really looking forward to it. I, I thought somebody would get pissed off, would catch wind of one of these songs. But unfortunately, that never happened. The bottom line is just nobody ever gave a shit. So we didn't get sued, which is good, but we also didn't really grab the attention of too many people in the industry or anything like that. But So it was kind of a letdown. I was kind of looking forward to that, just start shit just for the hell of it. But we never got to that point, but we were sure as hell ready to fight that fight if it came to us. So again, we went back to Mark Allen Miller at Slaughterhouse. And I felt like um, this time we we knew Mark. We we. We didn't know him when we were doing Indoor Racist. We were just meeting him, and by the end of it, we knew him, sure. But this time, we came in a little bit more familiar with him, and we, you know, everybody was a little looser, and, and I think he understood us more, and we understood what he does, and, and I think that definitely contributed to, you know, how well the album came out. It was a, it was a, it was a really good fucking time. I mean, maybe as we're going along uh, listening to these tracks, I'll have some more specific stories or, or memories about about the recording process, but I'll just leave that there for now. Um, I do want to just tell you, though, it's funny. This was three years after Indoor Recess, and I was still working at the same goddamn hotel. And I remember that specifically because many of these lyrics were written. I was actually uh, doing maintenance at the hotel now. I kept switching positions. So I was a maintenance worker, so I got to just kind of wander around the building a lot. You know, they'd give you things you had to do, but you kind of just did it at your own fucking pace, you know, as long as you got the shit done. So you'd spend a lot of the day dicking around, honestly. And uh, I worked during the day, though. It's a little easier if you work second or third shift. You can, you can just get an empty fucking room and watch TV half the night. But, you know, during the day, you got your managers there. You know, there's a lot of people around. You can't do that shit. So I would actually go hide in a boiler room. And it was uh, very industrial looking, so it probably helped put me in the mood. But yeah, I would just sit in there, hiding, make sure I had my little radio on me just in case they called me for anything. And I would just sit in there and write away. I, I very vividly remember writing um, a lot of Happy Mealworm in there. 
I remember writing a lot of, uh, I think, overpopulation, annihilation. You know, just <laughs> that was my little safe place to go and, and be creative. And I will also add that this album is, I'd say, our most popular album. This is the one that people, I think people enjoy this one the most. It's not just my favorite. I think most people would say this is their favorite CODs album. And it's because it really does sum up the sound and just the whole character of the band. And it's a very hard album to obtain a CD, a physical CD of it. it those are very hard to find, and you'll see them on uh, Amazon or maybe eBay, and, and people are usually asking for a ridiculous amount of money. And it's it's not because we're some fucking huge band. It's because we didn't... Well, we printed a fair amount of them, but this was in our, our peak, I'd say, of our career. This is when we were certainly the most active and, and probably trying the hardest we had. So we were playing more shows. We were promoting things more and advertising. You know, we were actually giving it a good shot. We were really trying. So naturally, because we were exposing ourselves more, we would sell more CDs. And by the time Operation Satan came around, I think we had made the decision to not print anymore because we just didn't have that much money. Um, we were working on a new album, we had to pay for the studio time, and then we had to print those CDs, so we just moved on. You know, if we had a lot of money, and we had, um, you know, intentions of playing a lot of shows, which we did not by the time we got to Operation Satan, I think we would have printed more. It's a shame. I think a lot of people would, would like to have the CD. I hope you can uh, be patient and wait for somebody to sell it at a reasonable price. Otherwise, just download it on iTunes. It would be cool to have the the cd though because that's the other thing i want to talk about the the last point i want to make about this before i move on to the songs um i did the art for indoor recess and i thought it was okay i'm not i'm not any kind of professional artist or illustrator or anything but you make do and we were a new band we didn't have any money so i took a crack at it but i always felt like obviously you know somebody else could do a much better job with it so here we are giving it a much bigger push and i feel like we had our shit together a little more so I reached out to an artist, uh, Travis Falligan, in um, IB Trav, as he's known. I saw his work. I don't know how I came across him. I was just um, searching for, for artists based off certain styles or characters or whatever, and, and I came across him, and I was blown away. And it was a long shot. I said, this guy obviously knows what he's doing. He's, he's a professional. I don't know how much money he's going to charge and, and this and that. But, you know, it doesn't hurt to reach out to him. And I did, and he was incredibly nice and incredibly understanding. You know, he was a professional, and he, he does, you know, freelance work, and he got good jobs, and, and he's, you know, definitely worth the money that he would typically charge. And I just kind of told him, you know, I, I appreciate you taking the time to get back to me, and uh, just honestly, I can't afford that. You know, it's just out of our budget, but it was it was really nice to talk to you and blah, blah, blah. And he came back and said, you know what? I'm interested in the project and I will work with you. And that was just the kind of guy he was. He was always willing to work with us. And he was very busy doing other things, but he was just uh, a really cool guy. He put together an amazing booklet for that CD. I mean, it's it's the art is just phenomenal. He did uh, some pieces based off of, uh, you know, a handful of the songs like Elmo's Last Laugh and, and the Happy Meal. <laughs> and these these things are just incredible. And uh, he even, you know, he knew nothing about animation, but 
I had ran the idea by him, hey, you think maybe you could do a video? And he said he'd take a stab at it, and he did. And he did a great job. And so he also animated the video for Elmo's Last Laugh, which you can watch on YouTube. So that's where we met Travis. And uh, Travis would also do the art for um, a few other things. Happy Birthday Jesus single, he did the art for that. I remember he did uh, the TPCM2 art. Thank you, Travis, if you ever hear this, thank you so much for... uh, giving us a break, giving us a shot. And um, I think you probably thought we were going to blow up or or be bigger than we are. And I am sorry if we let you down, but. (laughs) And keep in mind, in case it wasn't obvious, uh, the Pop Culture Massacre booklet was supposed to be a parody of the Little Golden Books. You know, they're famous for the shy little kitten and the little fucking puppy or whatever the hell it's called. Um, And that little two... Choo-choo, train, tutu, tootsie, or some shit. What is it called? So the only other thing I'd like to mention before we begin is uh, just like Indoor Recess, I will be playing some songs, unreleased songs related to the album in the background. And at the end of this, I'd like you to stick around for some real fucking fun because what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a song that was supposed to be on the Pop Culture Massacre but was cut. There's no vocals on it, but it's got, it's fully programmed. Dan played guitar. The song um, was cut, if I can remember correctly, because I felt like it was a little bit, I don't know, it just it just didn't seem to, to mix well with the other tracks, and it, and it was a little bit of a slower song, and I just wasn't feeling it at the time. But it's still cool. I mean, it's just, it was wrote with all the rest of the songs, so I think you'd kind of hear the similarities between it and the other tracks, and... Just a cool thing to hear now. And I've already started playing some of this in the beginning. That was a live recording of Losing Touch when we had Nick on drums using his electronic kit. That was maybe one of the only recordings we had with a real drummer playing like that. So it's it's obviously a very rough recording, but it's kind of cool to hear. So I'll be playing that throughout this episode. And if you listen into a recess... I played some uh, of the programming we did for two covers that were unreleased, um, Beds Are Burning and Safety Dance. And I have one more of those that we're also going to play throughout this, and that would be Unbelievable. I believe the band was called EMF. Really fucking classic song. Cheesy song, but classic. So you can hear our beginnings of what we were going to do with that. Again, it's just the keyboard programming. If you listen closely in the background, you'll hear that played too. So now, kids, it's time to gather around the fire. Let's move on. Let's begin. Let's open this storybook, The Pop Culture Massacre. So let's begin The Pop Culture Massacre. And before we start, I'm going to get myself nice and uh, situated for this, since this is a big one for me. So I'm going to get myself a nice little drink. Let's give it a little taste test. Tastes like God's asshole. Just what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. It's good stuff right there. Let me get a little water too. Because I get a little dry here. I get nervous talking about my music, you know. I get very nervous, very intimidated here. Facing my former self. Alright, so I have this queued up on YouTube. The album starts with the track called Disclaimer. So let's take a listen. 
this is actually um, Mark Allen Miller speaking. And I believe this was his idea to add this as a uh, opener to the album. And I thought it was brilliant. He wrote this whole thing himself, this whole speech. And uh, it's a great way to kind of address the whole sample thing with the fair use. I think he actually says this. Exactly. So please, thoroughly fuck off or enjoy the show. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant way to start the album. And I think that was added at the end once Mark kind of saw the whole presentation and this the idea we had with all the commercials and obviously the shit ton of samples we were using. He thought this would be a great way to kind of address the potential of being sued for using all the samples and letting people kind of know. We have kind of an argument here for using the stuff since it's all, you know, satire and parody and it's, like you said, fair use. And uh, what I love the most about that is at the end, if you caught it, uh, it's a sample from the show Reading Rainbow. <laughs> for anyone that's, uh, you know, significantly younger than me, you probably don't know what the hell that is. Although I think it might still be on, but I think it was at its peak popularity when I was growing up and maybe a little before that actually, but they'd always have these kids on and talk about some book they were reading or whatever. And at the end, you know, always, I forget, they would have some kind of way to close it and then every time. So we thought that was cool going with the whole um, book theme, storybook theme. And I think it's a great way to kind of warn you what's, what's ahead. This is a big album and that's a great way to start. So this, the first tr actual track is Overpopulation Annihilation. And I will tell you, that if I had to quickly say what my very favorite COD song is, I'd have to say it's this one. I say that because I was in a place with this one that I don't know if I could ever fully go back to. Not not completely the way I was for this one. I, I was at my most intense, vulgar, angry, and, and I, I just, I can feel the power in this one, really. It's really brutal. I love the way that Mark makes the drums very loud and they're very pounding and it just adds to the intensity of it. So let's take a listen to Overpopulation Annihilation. Now, I'm actually watching this on fucking YouTube, so we gotta, let's see what we got here. We have uh, what our grannies were or still... What? This, I'm, I'm watching a bra ad right now. Oh, well, this one's actually... Okay. Women are ditching their traditional bras for various reasons. Okay. Oh, the breasts droop. Oh, this is actually... Hold on, this is kind of interesting. I didn't expect to see this. So if you have drooping breasts... Was there a special bra or something? Let me see. They got my attention now. These, these ads never really suck me in, but this one's got me. Silk wrap. Okay, for the uh, the three females in the audience, you might want to check out these things called silk wraps if you have drooping breasts. So, but right now we we're kind of on a schedule here, so I'm going to skip the rest of this. But check it out. So, song starts right off the bat. It's fucking brutal. Yeah, and John Beeler wrote this song, and this this guitar riff always reminded me of like a Rammstein song or, or KMFDM, but. Very kind of German industrial sound to it. One of my very favorite riffs that he ever wrote. And yeah, those big, big drums. It's just a slamming song. 
Now, there's a lot. This this song's pretty funny because it's like there's some legitimate things to be like rip shit about, but a lot of these other things are just these small things in life that piss you off. Like if someone doesn't hold the door open for you, and just just how fucking annoying soccer moms are, you know. But I'm just I've just had it with the fucking world in this one, basically. From from big to small, it's just. Yeah, we got prostitute, porn star, pieces of shit, cheating husbands, everybody's in here. They make me sick. And this is great. This is like a um, an announcement at like a Kmart. Um, and and there's a lot of samples in here. I don't know if you can hear them that well, but it's a, a lot of crowds screaming and everything, and just this chaotic scene of like everyone's trapped inside this this fucking store, and just there's a homicidal maniac in there. We just thought you'd let you know. That's one of my favorite lines I ever wrote right there. Get up against the wall. Keep your fucking mouth shut. I mean, that is just... Wow. A lot of power in that one. And this is from Max Payne. Anybody who's played the original Max Payne. I used to go through the... um, It was these junkies that were in the bathroom and they were all fucking doped out. I used to just... I never got anywhere with the game because anytime I get into a place where these guys were there, they used to hang around these like barrels with the fire and oh my God, I just could listen to them for hours. Charlie Manson. If I started murdering people, there'd be none of you left. And then we got some Texas Chainsaw Massacre here, the Chainsaw. I love how Mark makes this coming in here. Swoops. Right there, swoops back in. Yeah, but anyway, the Max Payne guys were just the fucking funniest things. If you haven't played the original Max Payne, I, I tell you, just to see this, it was the funniest shit ever. The, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna think I'm dead. It was hilarious. This one, I think a lot of us can relate to. The hip-hop music with the uh, the gas station guy here. They just you ever seen these assholes that just leave their car running? And they don't even have to go in the store, but yeah, they just sit there while they're pumping gas like the whole goddamn place wants to hear their shitty music. I can't stand fucking people that are so goddamn inconsiderate. And these are the yuppies we gotta throw in there that, you know, support the fucking war. Because they don't fight in it, of course, right? It's another one of my favorite lines about the, uh, the, the frat boy fuckheads at the bar and cutting them open just to show them how empty they are. I mean, that's... That's one of my favorites. And this, this coming up, this is another one of my favorite lines. And I'm not just talking about the song, I'm talking about the entire history of the band. Please visit our customer service department for assistance with shooting yourself in a fucking head. I love that. Oh, God. Oh, and that scream at the end. This song is... Wow. I mean, really. I'm, I'm not a very confident person. I'm not. I, I put myself down constantly... I always find faults in everything I do, but I, I have to tell you, that's one of the few songs that I'm so fucking happy with. I just love it. I mean, I every time I hear that, I, I you, it just goes full blast in my car. It's just the kind of song you have to listen to, cranked, and you can feel the fucking power of that one. And of course, that's the beauty of art. I think people can probably listen to a song like that and take it wrong and think, Oh my God, this this guy, this is the kind of songs that encourage people to go out and start shooting up people or this guy is probably going to do something like that. You know, people that take everything, you know, quite literally. 
And the beauty of art is it allows you to have a safe outlet for your emotions. I mean, we all kind of feel this anger about the stupidity and ignorance of people. Just rude, inconsiderate, shitty people that are ruining the fucking earth, you know? So that doesn't mean they don't have a right to live. Of course they do. But it also doesn't mean that it doesn't piss you off. And art gives you that outlet of just being able to scream and fucking yell about it and just, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, I've always said that. That's why I used to hate when they'd come down in bands after some dipshit would do something stupid and they'd say, oh, what kind of music did they listen to? What movies did he watch? It's like, that's art though. That's why you make art. That's why art exists. It's a safe outlet and we all have the right to express ourselves. So it's a tough, rough fucking song, but it needed to be said. <laughs> of course, overpopulation annihilation is uh it's a it's a pretty revealing title itself. But there's a lot of shitty people out there. And that was my chance to kind of sum them all up and uh let loose. <sighs> Should I also tell you that I'm actually sick as a fucking dog doing this. Uh just figured I'm not doing anything else I'm just sitting in the house, so I should uh take a crack at this, but I'm not feeling all that well right now. And we are in the middle of a pandemic and that does scare me that, you know, holy shit, do I have coronavirus? But it's probably more likely that I'm actually down here by Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire and uh, there's not a whole lot of restaurants and there's a shitty pizza place down the road. I'm not going to say the name of it because uh, I'm not going to go that far with it, although they sure as hell deserve it at this point. But it was greasy, shitty, Greek fucking ultra generic pizza and it is tore me up okay we'll just leave it at that so i think it's more likely it's the shitty pizza than coronavirus but say a little prayer for whatever fucking deity you believe in for my sake because i'm suffering over here but i'm i'm still gonna make it through here god damn it we're gonna do this fucking thing okay track number two is one of my creations one of the few songs that i did probably 95% of the programming for. I wasn't the main programmer, Dan was, but occasionally I tried my best and I was proud of how this came out. So um, I'm trying to think here. I think this might be the only song on the album that I programmed. I may have done a little bit here and there on other songs, but this is the only one I programmed the whole thing. Uh, this was completely my song dan kind of added some things of course and the other guys uh, may have had a few ideas but this was my baby uh this song is interesting because it's kind of like a preview of what's to come with our next album operation satan lyrically it would have fit in very well with that album musically not so much different style going on here than uh the songs in operation satan but it's kind of cool i think um this kind of got me thinking about all that kind of stuff. And I remember writing the lyrics for this. I, it was more along the lines of like 8-Bit Piece of Shit and, um, you know, and song, other songs in this album like Elmo's Last Laugh and, and things like that where it was just more of a, a silly, kind of goofy, humorous song. But along the way, I don't know, I, I got more serious towards the end with the whole, um, you know, the way the animals are being treated. It's always been something that I've I've been bothered about but anyway, yeah, so let's let's dive into this fucking song. It's called The Happy Mealworm. Oh, I should actually, I know I'm rambling on with, during this one here, but uh, maybe because I wrote the song, I feel like I should just, this is my spotlight here. This is my 
my grand creation. So I feel like I really have to elaborate here. But let me just explain that title for anyone that doesn't know a little bit of the history of McDonald's. Okay, so for anyone that hasn't heard this before, um, it is rumored that I believe probably back in like the 60s, 70s, if I had to take a guess, I don't know the exact details of this, but it was rumored that McDonald's was using worm meat, mealworm meat, as filler for their beef. And it was kind of backed up by the claim that people said the fact that they said 100% protein isn't a false claim, right? That's that's not false advertising because I suppose it is, you know, worm meat is edible. It's not going to make you sick. You can technically eat it. I don't think anyone fucking would if you knew that's what you were eating. But by making that claim, they're not claiming it's 100% beef, which I think in more recent years, they now make that claim. I don't know if it's because of this rumor uh, to clarify more that they made that stand. Apparently, I don't, I don't think it's a true fact, but it's one of those things that's always floated around. And quite honestly, McDonald's has been busted for using a lot of shit in their food. Like just, I don't know, if, not going to get into it now, but the chicken nuggets are the first thing that come to mind. I mean, there was some real gross shit in those things. And I, I think probably less edible than worm meat, some of the chemicals and garbage that they're putting in their food. So I wouldn't put it past them, especially decades ago, that maybe they did do that. But I guess it's never been proven, and it's basically just a rumor. But that's where the name comes from, and uh, just kind of a jab at how disgusting McDonald's is. So let's take a listen. Now this is actually an old McDonald's commercial. Uh, probably from the 80s, maybe the 70s, and it's just slowed down. Thought it sounded kind of cool. And of course, this is a theme throughout the entire album. We have these little commercials or these public service announcements throughout the entire thing, and this is the very first one. I love this right here. <laughs> you guys coming? Just sounds like some fat ass that would eat at McDonald's. Okay, so this is the actual song, and it starts with our classic organ stab sound. That's a classic CODS sound effect. A lot of references to people from the McDonald land. That whole thing with, you know, the, like I said, the Fry Guys or the Fry Kids, whatever the hell they're called, you know. Used to have Captain Crook and all these other fucks that I think they dropped, but um, I don't even think they use any of them. I don't see Ronald McDonald anymore. And here we are accusing Ronald McDonald of being a sex offender. Never, ever trust a clown. I learned that as a, in my youth. I used to go to the circus and I'd be scared shitless over the clowns. They all look like perverts to me. I don't know. There you go. Over a billion mealworms served. Headed towards your golden arch. If you haven't put that together, that's your asshole. And there's some other, more of those characters. Big Mac, Mayor McCheese. And this is all kind of like a where are they now of, of the McDonald land people. Yeah, this, this was a great fucking song to play live too. Oh man, really, really good. And this chorus here, um, 
two all beef patties, blah, blah, blah. This was from a commercial they had, or a song or something they used to have, um, taken right from the McDonald's advertising. And, you know, I haven't listened to the song. I, I can't really remember what is coming here. Let's see. Oh, the Happy Meal makes us giggle and laugh till the mealworm comes popping out of your ass. Or no, poking out of your ass, excuse me. Gotta make sure I distinguish that. Something popping and something poking is a very different sensation. And this is Mac Tonight, that moon guy. If anybody knows anything about McDonald's advertising, that was a, a failed campaign, I guess. It didn't last long, maybe a year or two, but it was pretty, pretty fucking awesome, actually. I used to love the guy. Saw him at a, a, a fair in Massachusetts. We, we have this thing, the Big E, and uh, some, some fucking loser was dressed up as him. But... And this is where the song gets serious. And yes, the movie cups. Anybody that grew up in my era knows they used to have these awesome... I had the ones for, uh, I think, Batman Returns. And they had the little lids that were Frisbees with the, Bat the Batman symbol on it. They used to do shit like that all the time. And it was awesome. And that's, you know, drinking a milkshake makes my head implode. That, I remember Sinbad, the comedian, had a bit about that. It was funny as hell, but everybody knows it's really thick. It's... I feel like I'm missing some stuff. I, I think we talked about the pizza, the hot dogs. Those were other failed uh, menu items. And the pizza wasn't half bad, actually. And there you go. There's your Operation Satan moment about... I love this. Breaking into these rich fucking assholes that profit off the suffering of animals and underpaid workers, slaughterhouse employees. I want to just fucking go in there and murder these fucks and let all of them watch each other die. That's a beautiful, beautiful way to end the song. Fuck you, McDonald's. And of course, we, we threw them all in at the end. This isn't just about McDonald's. You gotta fuck Wendy's, fuck Taco Bell. If I could go on, if this song was 18 minutes long, we could have oh, Jack in the Box, KFC, all these motherfuckers. But we had to kind of just select the big guys, you know? You are what you eat, tortured and denied. And that's another nod at the animal suffering we're gonna roll right into this here <laughs> this was a fucking classic commercial of this, this guy that was found drugs in his uh son's room and i learned about what to do dad and we're gonna, we'll cut that right there and that's a that's a very Good point I want to just focus on for a minute. Parents who use drugs, you ready? Have kids that use drugs. Can you put that together in your mind? Parents who use drugs have kids who use drugs. So simple, but it's, you know, all the world's problems are solved. Just if the parents don't use the drugs, the kids won't use the drugs and their, their drugs will just disappear. So for all you drug users out there, before you start pumping out the kids, you got to cut the fucking habit, okay? Anyway, so the next song is called Losing Touch. This is a, um, I'd say this is a fan favorite. This is one of those songs that everybody wanted to hear live. It's one of our more, uh, I, I probably 
pair this with Overpopulation Annihilation. It's a little bit more of a brutal kind of metal song. A lot of screaming in this one. Uh, yeah, it was a fun song to play live. And uh, this was written by Jay Kelly with the help of, I believe, Matt Nodland. This was the only song. Well, this and Prize Fighter were the only two songs we ever wrote as a full band. So this was a, a little bit of a different sound, especially when we first started playing it. Um, by the time we got to the album, we, we did some more programming and kind of made some changes to make it fit more with the other tracks that we wrote, kind of, you know, starting with the keyboard programming. But still, since Jay wrote it, he's got kind of a little bit of a different style. The song's a little unique. It doesn't sound quite like the other stuff we do. So uh, let's fucking listen. This is one of my favorite ways to start a song because it's from my favorite cartoon of all time, Ren and Stimpy. This is when Ren is torturing uh, an insect, pulling off his wings. It's an episode about how rotten Ren is, and I guess uh, Stimpy's trying to teach him a lesson. There's no medication that can stop me now. <laughs> Pretty self-explanatory. I'm the clown shooting people in the face for a laugh. I like that line a lot. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh, this, I mean, obviously the song title is pretty obvious. It's about losing your mind or whatever, but um, it's a lot about being judged by people. You know, I, I make some comments about my appearance and things like that and not believing in God and, you know, just all these things that people kind of look down at you for. <laughs> what is it? Fuck yourself until you reproduce. So, that's, yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of Ren and Stimpy samples throughout this whole thing. You can hear them screaming in the background. That's from uh, one of the space episodes where the you know space madness or something in the beginning. They'd be you know taken off in the ship and they start screaming. Anyone that's been to uh, psychiatrists or a therapist or any of that bullshit, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They don't fucking listen to you. They're ready to prescribe you something, and you're just another fucking moron that has the same problems they hear 500 times a year. So, not that helpful. There's Ren laughing. Yeah, this is definitely one of our uh, heavier songs. Yeah, you can hear, we added a lot of the keyboards in the background that weren't there originally. We, we may have made this song a little too wacky, but, you know, it fits well with the other songs. But it'd be interesting to hear this kind of stripped down more, a little more raw. I think it would be even more hard-hitting. And that's kind of how it was in the beginning. And there's Michael Keaton from the 1989 Batman. What does that chew your mouth until it swallows you? Yeah, it's just, you know, some twisted fucking shit, basically. Not a whole lot of meaning there, but it's just... Put on... Hear the screams of the lullaby. There's Ren. Yeah, there's, wow, there's a lot more Ren and Stimpy samples in this than I remember. It's like loaded. Try be careful. This one, this should have been the lawsuit song, really. This would have been the one I wouldn't see coming, though, because uh, 
I love the cartoon so much and it would have hurt my feelings. This riff is fucking badass right here. And this is from Reservoir Dogs coming up. <laughs> What's his name? Mr. Orange, I think. I'm fucking dying over here. Me, we used to always uh, quote that sample. We thought it was hilarious the way the guy said it. So, oh, this is brutal, fucking brutal. Oh, this total Mr. Bungle right here. Craig added these crazy keyboards in the background, just slamming on random keys. Yeah, the, uh, anyone that's uh, familiar with the first Mr. Bungle record, that was that was a total. Uh, Nod to them. And there's that classic Ren and Stimpy laughing, the psychotic laughing. And here is that asshole, Bill Cosby. <laughs> and here he is, Mr. Fucking Preacher, you know? Oh, yeah, he's such a role model, this fucking scumbag. And this is before we knew how much of a piece of shit he really was. Sick fuck, serial rapist. Yeah, fuck you, Bill Cosby. Guy has a fucking problem with everybody else, and he's the biggest... Oh, okay, I'm going to stop it there. Anyway, that's enough about Bill Cosby. We all know he's a piece of shit. Rotten hell, you sick fuck. <clears throat> but you made it to Pop Culture Massacre. Congratulations. And uh, that was him um, telling us how important it is for children to consider the profession of teaching. Yeah, coming from Bill Cosby. Okay bug-eyed fucking piece of shit all right so i cut it a little bit there because i forgot how these uh these interludes kind of just run right into each other and this next song i wanted to say a few things before we we get into this one because this is president pinocchio and at the time george w bush was president and he was a fucking moron and of course those were some dark dark times which is funny because I don't think any of us knew that those dark times were never going to fucking end. I mean, we've been in an endless war since 9-11. So this was a, a big political time period. It's pretty clear what President Pinocchio means. I mean, it's, you know, he's a liar. So that's what the song was about. It was about Mr. Bush himself. So yeah, um, that's, you know, that's the, the lyrical aspect of the song. But I want to talk a little bit about the song in general. This song always disappointed me because when we first started writing new material after Indoor Recess, this was one of the first songs that Dan had put together. And I believe I had said that Utopia Burning, I don't know if I said it was the only song he ever wrote on guitar first, but this was another one of those. And maybe these, he did more of it on Operation Satan, but prior to Operation Satan, I think these were probably the only two songs that he, he did that way. Um, so he had he had showed me this guitar riff, and I thought it was so badass. Very, you know, it's a simplistic kind of riff, but it's just really hard-hitting. And, um, of course, he does a great solo, as he always does. And I just thought this song was fucking brutal. I, I really, I, I thought this was his best work at the time. And um, maybe it's my fault. I, this song just kind of fell flat, I think. I, I never hear anything about it. It's a little bit strange, which I which I like. Maybe it didn't work the way I thought it would, but I like the song, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people say, no, I like President Pinocchio, but I just never hear anything about it. 
Out of, of all the songs on Pop Culture Massacre, I'd say this is the one I hear the least about. So it's it was a little bit disappointing. It's different, very different than other stuff. So let's take a listen to it. And this is a, an, a some sort of an Arabian um, rendition of of the song from uh, Pinocchio. <laughs> you know, this is a tough one to do because this um, this album basically never stops. So I'm having a hard time um, pausing this in time. So bear with me. So let's listen to President Pinocchio. Be all you can be. This is, um, I really tried to uh, play on with the, you know, Pinocchio samples from the actual uh, Disney movie. So, you know, the famous line of, I'm a real boy. So just kind of made the uh, connection between you know, the way that we um, advertise the military. You know, if you want to be a real man, join the military. As, um, what's his face there? Wow, famous comedian. Bill Hicks would say, We are the military. You're hired fucking murderers. When we need you to blow up a village of brown people, we'll fucking call you. Anyway. This is this is a, just a... Very long sample taken from Pinocchio. This was screaming for Disney to sue us because they love uh, shutting people down. Like they don't have enough fucking money. I mean, but they're after everybody usually pulling everything down from the internet. So um, this is, I, I guess that kind of <laughs> speaks how pathetic we are as a band. We didn't even uh, get the attention of Disney. Well, I'm pretty sure they have a uh, huge employee base of people that just do this all day long and they somehow missed us so that's great yeah definitely a weird song though yeah kind of um, a little more of a sporadic song you know than we usually do I guess a lot of uh... oh I'm trying to listen to this Yeah, it's a, it's a fucking good song. I don't know uh, why I don't hear more about this. I'm not sure if we ever played this one live now that I think of it. I think we tried. And I think because there were so many um, of those slow parts in between, the weird things, it just wasn't working. It wasn't keeping up with the pace of the, of the other tracks. Yeah, there's a lot of Pinocchio samples in this. But I think they work really well with the uh, with the lyrical content. And, um, you know, it's crazy to think that things would only get worse. I think after 9-11 and everything was going on, it just seemed like the world was, or at least our country was falling apart. And, <laughs> yeah, little did we know it was going to get a lot worse. And it's, and here we sit in it. It's all of us booing in the studio. There was uh, about five of us doing that. So nice to get the other guys doing something on the album. Crazy song, actually. 
This is a great fucking solo by Dan. Maybe, maybe my favorite solo he's ever done. Let's take a listen to it. I'll shut the fuck up. Very ministry with these uh, Bush samples. I guess you could say it's a little overdone, but it's not really possible. It was such a important thing to incorporate into art, I think, at the time, so couldn't be done enough, if you ask me. And uh, at the end here, I want to point out the sample. <laughs> that is, uh, I'm trying to remember, that was Bella Lugosi from the movie Ed Wood. Not actually Bella Lugosi, but whoever was uh, playing Bella Lugosi. Great movie, Ed Wood, if you haven't seen that. Brilliant. Okay, let's pause it there. Okay, this next song is called Under the Big Top. And this is an instrumental track. There is no vocals on this. There's some samples, like every other goddamn song on this album. Except I think Nobody Quite Like Me might be the only song that doesn't have samples. But anyway, this song was part of Dan's uh, solo album that he was putting together. He had about, I want to say he had about 10 tracks or so. A lot of this stuff was was different than, than what we typically did in COD, so there wouldn't be a lot of interest in using all of them. But there's definitely a few that were so fucking awesome. I mean, among some of our best material, I'd say. And he was bent on using it for himself. I don't know what the hell he was planning at the time. I don't know if he thought he was going to escape the misery of CODs and, and do his own fucking thing. But I begged him to use this. And I'm trying to think if anything else was used. I know there's a... Well, I'll talk about it later. There's another part from that solo album that's that's featured on this, but I'll save it for when we get there. But yeah, this is an instrumental song, and it's got some Barbara Walter samples in it. It's got some Star Trek, I believe. I think this is where the sample came from. Um, yeah, it's a badass fucking song. I remember Mark in the studio, Mark Allen Miller. <laughs> he loved this, and I remember he he said something like, "Oh, I wish you guys did more songs like this." And I'm I'm thinking, should I be offended by that? What is that? What songs without me? <laughs> I don't know. I I hope he meant something about the music. I don't know exactly, you know, what's so much different about this song musically than our other tracks. But I tried to not take that personally. I'm thinking, oh, it's funny. The one song I don't do fucking vocals on. He wishes we did more like that. So <laughs> I don't think that's what he meant. But it's kind of funny now. But let's uh, let's listen to it if it ever starts. Oh yeah, this is fucking badass. I I haven't heard this song in a long time because I'm a narcissist and I only typically listen to songs that I'm on, but Yeah, I believe that's from Star Trek, believe it or not. Which I hate. But I think I um was looking for circus samples or something that came up. Yeah, you know what? Now, now that I think about it, I know why Mark said this. This is kind of different than other stuff, and I, and I do wish we put out a whole album like this. Much more um, industrial, I think. Yeah, it's great. And that's Barbara Walters. 
think it was from uh, 2020 or something like that. I don't know what the hell they were reporting on. Probably some fucking serial killer or something. Jeffrey Dahmer or one of them. Yeah, this is a really cool song. I don't know why I didn't put vocals on this. I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I didn't because it's a nice little break. You know, it's about halfway through the album here. And uh, I think it's exactly halfway through the album. I don't think I even... I'm not sure if I ever even tried to come up with vocals for this. It's not really uh, structured like your other songs, too. So I don't know. I probably just uh, kind of thought this would be cool on its own. <laughs> I don't remember. I think that's... Is that Vincent Price, maybe? Burn! <laughs> yeah, there's some cool effects. I think he was using... Um, we had this thing, a chaos pad, it was called. Kind of like a... Uh, what do you call it? A theremin or something? I'm not a, I'm not really that knowledgeable of instruments, but you could put your hand on it and you know make different sounds with the... Uh, different frequencies and things like that. It was pretty cool. And Dan had just got it and it was, you know, going crazy on it. And then I think, don't think ever use the thing again. Oh, that's a great horn sound. Nice little piano in the background. This is really beautifully programmed. This is, uh, this is all Dan. A lot of layers in this. Which is interesting because a lot of our songs are like that. But I think, you know, once you put the vocals and everything and you know multiple layers of guitars you lose a lot of those layers um if it would be interesting maybe to let you guys hear um just the programming for the songs there's probably a lot more going on than you realize and that's it that is under the big top and that's uh something i'll have to listen to more often i don't think i've heard that in years Oh, and here's... Okay, let's let's pause it for a minute. Let's talk about this song. And there was uh, no uh, commercial in between that. Or, not commercial, but no... Uh, I don't know what the hell you call them, because they're not all commercials. No samples in between, let's just say that. Uh, Prize Fighter was written by Derek Sendrick. This is the other song, as I mentioned before, that we put together as a live band. And Prize Fighter is, in my opinion, another one of those songs I think I had said on Indoor Recess, that Bendable Jesus worked better live than it did in the album. This is another one of those songs. This was so fucking badass live. Much more hard-hitting. Um, and, I, you know, at the end of Indoor Recess, uh, the, the episode for Indoor Recess, I played the mix that Noah did for that. And interestingly enough, that's kind of more of a represent, representation of what it sounded like live. It just added more punch and power to it. Not to say there's anything wrong with the way this was mixed, because I think, you know, it had a different sound just getting all the the layers and the keyboards in there uh, to, to blend well, but this this definitely was a heavier song. Uh, but yeah, but Derek wrote it, and um, this was a love song, but it was also an attempt to move on from 8-Bit Piece of Shit, almost like a sequel to that, as, as odd as that may seem, because there's a lot of 16-bit, we moved on to 16-bit, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis world, with Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. And I think the samples may have been mixed just a little bit low. I don't know if they came through. We'll point them out when they come. I, you can hear them, but I think they should have been a little bit more 
you know, in, in the forefront. But yeah, it was kind of a half love song, half video game song. And I love this song. I should tell you too, this is one of the few songs I remember in the studio that I, I usually do multiple tracks, multiple takes on my vocals. This one I just rolled right through. I don't think, it may have been one of the fastest songs I ever recorded. This is some beautiful acoustic work here by Dan. It's very, very, very sweet, sensitive type of song in the beginning here. And it quickly gets really dumb. And it's just a, a song about, you know, being uh, down and out and you're maybe a piece of shit, loser, but, you know, hey, hey, baby, I'm coming for you. I, I got some more life in me. Don't ask me what happened to this person. I guess me. But I'm determined to get back up and fight, goddammit. I know I'm bruised and bleeding, but don't you ever count me out. Well, who, I, I don't know who the hell I'm talking to there. All of a sudden, I'm threatening somebody. And now I'm talking to this sweetheart, oh mine. There's the fight for Mortal Kombat. That was Get Over Here from uh, Mortal Kombat. Hadouken from Street Fighter, Ryu. Yeah, you can hear these, actually. <laughs> Yoga Fire. <laughs> yeah, you can hear those. I mean, I would have liked them to be just a little bit louder, and I think we we battled with that. We always wanted the samples to be louder, but Mark, Mark knew how to make things sit nicely in the mix and everything, but we always just wanted those things blasting, so it probably would have sounded uh, very disconnected, so... I'm gonna be honest with you. I always, I always thought this part of the song kind of sucked. Like if I, could, if I could do this over again, I think I'd come up with something better than this. It's, uh, it's a little weird. I want to hear how it goes back into the song a little. Let me see. And that when I say it's cheesy, but you can't defeat me, it's when you. I used to be one of those people when you play this, the, the fighting games and they just hit every button all the time. They don't know what the hell they're doing. You know, I was never good with any of those combos or anything. Yeah, I mean, it works. It goes back into the song nicely, but that, that part's always kind of bugged me out a little bit. But I do like the whole, you know, reference to those fucking assholes that play like an asshole, basically. Yeah, this, this chorus here coming up, it's just, it, when we used to play it live, it was just slamming. I mean, you can you probably hear, I mean, it's slamming on this too, but it was even more just powerful live. And you know that, that background that, hi, 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 hi. I think we stole that from Antichrist Superstar. <laughs> probably shouldn't say that, but I think that was from uh, a Marilyn Manson song. We just couldn't find a good, you know, and we were like, yeah, no one's ever going to know. It's just, it's just, hey, I mean, it's not like we're stealing something that original, but. And there's Home Alone. That was, uh, oh, yeah, Mortal Kombat 10. 
here, we're going to pause it there. But yeah, that was Daniel Stern, who was, what the hell was his name? Marv from Home Alone. And I believe that was from Home Alone. Maybe the first one. when I think when he stepped on the nail, when he got all the uh, the tar on the steps in the basement there. And they ended up stepping on the nail and, and fell down the stairs. Yeah. I think. I think we wanted to use, if you've ever seen Home Alone 2 when he gets the bird seed thrown at him. <laughs> uh, the screams that guy did were incredible. Um, and then, of course, the tarantula on his head in the first one, that was a good one too. But I think uh, time-wise, we, we settled with that one because it, it filled in the gap nicely. So that's Prize Fighter, one of my favorites, really, besides that middle part. Okay, so moving along, we have an interesting one. I want to talk, talk a little more about Elmo's Last Laugh than the others because this song I thought was going to be the big one and I think it is kind of popular we ended up doing the uh, the music video for it as I talked about Travis animated that the only music video we ever did sadly but yeah this song uh, was supposed to be I, I just said that about Price Fighter, but this actually was more of like the second 8-bit piece of shit where okay let's do Sesame Street in much the same way we did Super Mario Brothers it doesn't sound anything like a piece of shit though. It's a very different type of song, and it's it's a little probably a little stranger, you know, structurally at least. It's it's kind of like President Pinocchio like that. There's some weird things going on there, um, but I think it's a great song. It's it's definitely got. It reminds me of the old Toilet Duck days. John Beeler wrote this song, who wrote a lot of the stuff in Indoor Recess and and the Toilet Duck stuff. So it's kind of got that that same kind of ska upstroke guitar thing going on which I, I really love and uh this is another song i would love to play for you without maybe even without vocals because i'd like you to hear the keys and the guitar together when you can really hear what they're doing it's such a fucking wacky fun song i i i just love it at the time when we released pop culture i keep saying this about every song I, i'm trying to think what the hell i think people liked happy mealworm a lot that that one seemed to be popular right off the bat we thought people would like this more, but through time, this has become, I'd say, one of our more popular songs. So I think it, it did end up doing what we thought it would. It just didn't have the immediate reaction we expected. So let's listen. Um, I cut off uh, one of our PSAs here, so let's, let's start back up from that fucking thing, because this, this is a really fun one to talk about. This is crack. Cause... <laughs> this is Pee Wee Herman talking about crack. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's not worth it. But. Sure. Huh? Whoa. Holy shit. I never thought of it that way, Pee-wee. You know, I must say, too, that must have been before his little uh, incident. <laughs> if we want to call it that. Mr. Uh, Pee-wee playing with himself in the porno theater. Oh, God, that destroyed my youth. That destroyed me. And, you know, anybody that has uh, TPCM2, Judgment Day, the, uh, this, the actual CD with the art, there's a great picture that Travis did. Um, there's a collage of all the people, the Terminator squirrels killing everybody or attacking people. And there's a great, I don't know if anyone caught that, but it's Pee Wee Herman from his mugshot days. 
with his pants down and it's it's great so take another look at that uh artwork it's on the back of the cd when you get a chance you probably missed that but it's it's really fucking funny but yeah that fucked me up as a kid i was a huge peewee herman fan i loved peewee's playhouse watched it you know i think it was on saturday mornings every week and uh i was pretty young and when it happened I didn't understand what the hell he did. My father kind of told because I saw, you know, everybody knew he was going to be taken off TV and all this shit, and I didn't really get what he did, and they just kept telling me, well, he was playing, he was playing with himself. And I'm, I kept saying, well, who cares? I play with myself all the time. I'm thinking this guy's, you know, playing with fucking uh, toy trucks and shit, you know, action figures, and I didn't know at the time even what masturbation was. So I didn't quite get it until, uh, you know, years later. But they, I think, I think people. My dad told me he did something real dirty or something. I, I put it together somehow that he, or somewhat, I should say, that he did something pretty fucked up. But I never really understood until later. Yeah, that was very. That, hold on, I'm, I'm trying to process that whole crack thing because I understand, you know, that it's bad to do crack. But I never really thought of it that way. Like nobody knows how much it takes, you know. So you might think it's cool. Hey, I'll do a little crack here and there, maybe just in the weekends. But that, that's a good point. There is no real way of knowing, hey, how much is too much? So, you know, maybe kind of get used to it and then you do a little more and that could be it. So that's something to really uh, live by, kids. Probably just skip the crack altogether because you're really, you're, you're gambling every time. I know it's fun. I know it gets you through, you know, a tough week at work. Maybe something to look forward to on the weekends. But as Pee Wee just told us, that's what makes it really bad. You never know how much is too much. So probably just stay away from it altogether. Okay, so let's move on to um, Elmo's Last Laugh. If I can fucking find this thing. Where the hell? Here we go. This is a great way to start. But this is another one. This is that chaos Pat I was telling you about. Dan was using that shit in this too. He, he really went wild with that thing on this album. And then I think he sold it or something. I don't remember seeing that thing again. And there's a lot of references to other, well, there's Pee Wee Herman there, a lot of other uh, children's shows. And this is Barney. And who's the other one? Oh, Eureka's Castle, which uh, very few people probably remember that. It used to be on Nickelodeon. It was a Sesame Street ripoff, basically. In fact, I think they even had like a peanut butter and jelly monster. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I've always I love this guitar riff in the song. Very old school, Twilight Duck and, and early CODs. And this is a reference to all the new characters that Sesame Street was introducing at the time that were just beyond annoying. And Elmo. And I have to say, I have a I have a son now, and he loves Elmo. And and a lot of people are gonna hate me for this, but the little bastard's grown on me because of my son. Because he makes my son happy, and now I have a new appreciation for the red fuck. But I still don't like the other characters. I think they got rid of that stupid baby bearer. Here's a go. Jim Henson and crew, the LSD. This is all the Sesame Street underlying problems that were in the show, which made it great. And then along came Elmo. And the count. A lot of Sesame Street samples in this, and they're fucking great. Yip Yip Martians. I love these things. And I was surprised that they're still on the show because they, they got rid of some of the uh, 
more random characters, but they still uh, make an appearance here and there. I'm trying to think. I, can't, I don't know if we put that together ourselves or if somebody had already done it. I think we put it together, though. And this I thought was pretty cool, you know, the uh, how Sesame Street with the letters and everything, the C-O-D-S. <laughs> we like our Muppets mean. I had to really stretch to make the C-O-D-S work here. Like the seams, eh. Uh, it kind of worked. Yeah, this guitar riff and the fucking keys behind it. I love this shit. This is one of my favorite things we ever. I love. I'm telling you, I have to play this about vocals. You, you can't really fully appreciate it. The drums, everything. I, I just. I. I would love to write more stuff like this. I love this like kind of industrial metal ska thing. I still do. So we did in Toilet Talk and. I'd still like to do more of it. Yeah, this is a very strange way to end it. And I'll tell you a story. Some fucking asshole was supposed to do a remix of the song, and he said some comment about us noodling at the end, and um, Dan Solo that's coming up and I never really I was kind of pissy at the time I'm like what do you mean noodling you know he said oh you guys are just noodling at the end I kind of got pissed but then I listened to it again I said yeah you're kind of right though we are just noodling and that's the Martin Atkins John had talked about in a previous episode suffocation by Snuffleupagus and then one of the highlights of my uh my studio career was uh, being able to sing along with the Yip Yip Martians from Sesame Street. I, I felt like I was a rock star for one second here. This is the noodling. It is, yeah, it is kind of noodling. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. I'll let you judge that, but it's, it's appropriate. I guess you could consider that noodling. And this is me, um... Someone was tickling my asshole in the studio, and uh, we captured it and thought it worked well. Yeah, that's a weird song. And this this background music here behind uh, the porno with uh, Bert and Ernie, that was from Dan Solo album two. It's very hard to hear, but it's mostly just like a bass line and a, and a drum beat. If you can kind of hear it. But it's funny because we, Dan loved this song and he wanted to use this as a COD song. This is one that he actually wanted to use, but he ended up using it on a solo album because. Hold on. I just had to hear the rubber ducky at the end, sorry. We all thought it sounded like a, a, a porno movie. And specifically, we at the time said a gay porno movie. And not exactly what we wanted. And uh, Dan, I think, took offense to it. And then when it came to this, I just asked him, I said, hey, you know the beginning of that song that we said sounds like a porn? You think we can use it for Bert and Ernie? And he was kind enough to let us use it, even though I think he was kind of offended that we thought it sounded like a cheesy porno movie. So thank you, Dan, for that. It did end up serving a purpose after all. It was porno music, like we told you. Let me take a little, little break, a little snack break. 
a lot of shit going on in the world right now. So, uh, trying to focus on this bullshit because uh, there's people being murdered by the police. You know, this goes right into Hell's Kitchen. <clears throat> now that I'm listening to this again, um, I guess there isn't as many of those little interludes that are, as I remember. It's not, it's not in between every song. That's interesting. I always thought it was every song. But it's very cool. I think, I'm trying to think, I think we've only heard one real stop here. I think most of these tracks have just gone right into each other or right into one of those interludes. Very much a concept album. I'm very proud of this, the way, the whole presentation of it. And that, that's the, the lyrics, the music, you know, all the interludes, connecting it all together, the art. I mean, I'm really, I'm really proud of this one. I really am. It's tough to say. I, I'd say this and Operation Satan, I really put my heart and soul into for sure in different ways. But uh, I'm very, very happy with the way this whole thing came out. So yeah, this goes right into Hell's Kitchen. I'd compare this to Sea Monkey Kill, an indoor recess. Very fun song, overly violent. You know, taking all your uh, your favorite food mascots from your youth, many of which have uh, died off. They don't do much of this kind of stuff anymore with the little kids characters selling you all this shitty food that's god-awful for children. I think they, for the most part, did away with a lot of that advertising. Um, but if you're as old as I am, you certainly remember being tricked into eating all this because there was some cute little character like a hamburger helper glove or you know all those cereal people, all the little animals. You know, and then of course they did it with like Camel Joe for the cigarettes. There was a cute little animal for everything. And that's what, you know, kids want. They want cute little animal characters. So, yeah. So we decided to portray them in their true form as the killers that they are. That's actually not why I did this, but that's a lot smarter. This is just a very dumb song. Another kind of like, you know, B-horror movie based on pop culture. A lot of cool stuff going on in this one, though, so this will be fun to talk about. Let's take a listen. This is also a Dan Raphael song. This one was uh, one of the, at the time, one of the more metal songs. Uh, I think he wrote this one on guitar first, too, possibly. Um... This could have easily been on Operation Satan. And I think this uh, this is one of the last songs he wrote uh, for this album. So, you know, the next batch of things would be the Operation Satan stuff, so. And that's uh, Adam from Colta, as we've talked about. Adam Sloan, good friend of our, good friend of the band at the time. I haven't talked to him in many years. It's pretty sad, actually. So, Adam, if you ever hear this, we miss you, man. We love you. It was, it was an honor to have you on here. He did some cool stuff. I love the lyrics for this song, though. And I think I talked to Craig about it. I, I couldn't get through this song without laughing. Everybody was dying in the studio. I mean, I had to do so many takes of this because I had to be so angry, you know, yelling the most dumb shit you could ever come up with. <laughs> like this. I just have to be so fucking angry about, you know... These food characters doing those I love this chorus. <laughs> yeah, Mark, he, he came up with the, the effect of my voice for this one. I, I told him I wanted something kind of kind of different. Mark, Mark is so good at that stuff. You know, we have so much fun with that. Sometimes I just do the traditional 
you know, my regular voice, but there's the songs like Sea Monkey Killing This that I, I want to do something a little more uh, odd. And he always knows what to dial up for me. <laughs> it's like my Phantom of the Opera moment there. That was Adam again. And this was Dan Raphael's girlfriend at the time, who, uh, who was Hispanic, and she obviously, you know, understood Spanish a lot more than we did, so we had her do all these Spanish parts for us. Ah, the Twinkie Cowboy, stealing that cream filling from my cock. You gotta love that. Oh. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, damn. That's brutal. That hamburger helper glove tugs and rips off my back. <laughs> guess he was getting a... I guess I was getting a hand job from, uh, from the helper himself. Yeah, Adam's doing the, uh, the backup vocals there behind me. Yeah. You can kind of hear him. Yeah. Michael Jordan, who I just recently found out from a, a close family friend that he's a fucking he's a fucking dickhead, apparently. <laughs> I can kind of see it now, but I didn't know he was as much of a prick as he as he is. So fuck you, Michael Jordan, if you're listening to this arrogant asshole. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, we had her do the Spanish, and then John would translate it as Christopher Walken. What <laughs> a weird fucking song. And this is Ian from uh, Collapse and Reason. I'm sorry, I can't remember his last name off the top of my head, but he was sitting in doing a dissertation. <laughs> Don't ask me why, and uh, we just thought it would be cool to get him involved in a song. So since there were so many people on this, we said, hey, do something in Hell's Kitchen. And that was uh, Adam... And uh, doing those hilarious Spanish parts at the end about uh, pudding pops and uh, slush puppies and your balls and whatever the hell it was. Okay, we're going to pause it there because there's another PSA coming. Yeah, that was a blast. Holy shit. Now that I think of it, I don't think I've ever had more fun recording a song than Hell's Kitchen. There was, I remember there was quite a few people in the studio, which I typically don't have many people in when I do vocals because I don't feel comfortable. I, I don't mind one or two people, but there was like there was like six, seven people, and we were all laughing our ass off because, <laughs> like I said, not only was I saying these ridiculous things, but I had to be screaming like like I was so angry about it that it was just really hard to get through it and. You know, I would try not to look up at the, you know, everybody through the glass and they would all be dying and I would lose it. So that's a really, really good memory doing that song. I miss those days because as time went on, it just got lonelier and lonelier. You know, that the Pop Culture Massacre, for so many reasons, is like the highlight of, of CODs for me because I feel like we were, it was maybe the only time that we were all really in it, you know, and we had, we were making connections. We had, we had, other people and bands that we were getting friends with and like you know like i just told you we had guests appearing on on songs and it just felt like we were really starting to build something and uh it's a shame that it all fell apart but at least i had this i had this quick little moment with everybody remember dennis being in there and he was laughing his ass off dennis yeah he actually came around a lot 
I think when I was doing uh, vocals and stuff and, and mixing, it was good to have them there. So let's hear what this uh, this fucking thing is here. Children believe what their parents I don't remember. Tell them. You're pathetic. Oh. You can't do anything right. Sounds like my mother. This, this all sounds like my mom. And that's my mother-in-law. Ooh. Yeah, stop. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people, actually. That, that one's probably, that's hard to pinpoint who that would be in my life. Yeah, I don't remember what the hell that was from. They used to do all these crazy commercials about all this kind of stuff. You know, I don't know if it was on um, Saturday mornings. I don't know when the hell they used to play it, but, you know, these <laughs> crack cocaine and degrading your children and all this kind of weird shit. You know, you don't see anything like that anymore. I don't know why. I think people just gave up, you know, just fuck it after a while, you know. People are fucking losers. People take drugs because they have to because we've fucked up everything so bad that fuck it. Let them take the drugs. And they are fucking, most kids are going to amount to nothing because we don't give a shit anymore. So they probably just gave up on the whole thing. But there was a brief period, apparently, during my youth that they were really trying to motivate us. Okay, this is another one I want to talk a lot about. Um, Nobody Quite Like Me. There's nothing quite like the song. It's very different than the rest of the album. I almost didn't include it on this album. I believe this was another song that was from Dan's solo stuff and i had to really fight with this guy about using the song to the point where it was actually quite disrespectful to me he didn't want me using the song for some reason at all i i don't know if he was going to turn into mr fucking lungs mr opera man himself and start doing his own vocals heads was just bent on it he did not want me doing anything on this and that's why i kept asking him what the hell are you going to do with it and he wouldn't answer me uh so i just kept asking him. I kept bugging him over and over again because I really, really loved this song. And this is before I, I didn't have any idea what I would do with it vocally, but I just, I really connected to the music and I thought it was so different than anything else we had done. Just really wanted it. So I think he just gave in to me just basically because he got sick of hearing me. I will say that I don't think he liked what I did because he was so weird about me using it and then he wasn't in the studio when i did vocals and i remember going to his house afterwards to show him how it came out and he didn't say anything i don't think i've ever heard him ever say if he liked the song or not (laughs) so i'm assuming he doesn't uh so that kind of bummed me out and i just mentioned dennis dennis actually told me that he loved what i did i think he was the first person He said, you know, that's actually one of the coolest things you've ever done. So that made me feel good because right away I felt like shit about it, you know, because it was a a different, not only was it a different type of song, but I did some different vocals on it too. So I thought this song would probably bomb. I didn't think, just from that reaction from Dan and everything and it being so different and me kind of being a little self-conscious about it because I'm trying some new things, I didn't think people would really like this. And I almost, I almost cut it from the album. I thought maybe, not that it's, we should scrap it, but I don't know if it belongs with the rest of these tracks. And thank God I didn't, because this is still one of our most popular songs. Yeah, what, what an unbelievable, that would have been a horrible mistake. Because this is definitely one of the standout tracks. I love this song. 
Um, people that don't like us like the song. My parents like this fucking song, okay? Put it that way. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'll take it as a compliment. Because they always tell me, oh, why do you yell so much? If you guys mean well, a little, a little, a little. Oh, well, you know, when you actually sing, it doesn't sound that bad. So they really like this song because I don't think I yell at all in this. And also, I think it was probably the last song I wrote lyrics for in the album because I didn't know what to do with it because the music didn't really fit with the rest of the album. So I was trying to think of a way. And by this point, I had wrote all the other lyrics and this had this whole theme, this whole pop culture theme going on. And this, well, this one just hit me as much more of a serious song, but not in the way that like Losing Touch and Overpopulation Annihilation, where those are just very angry, you know, serious types of songs. Um, this was a little bit obviously tamer than those, so I didn't know how to approach it. And I just ended up going for a drive for a long time. I just kept driving around real late at night. I remember it was, uh, it was, it was windy that night, and uh, there was a nice little breeze coming through, which I actually mentioned in the song. And uh, I just kind of let the depression in me kind of just roll out. It was, a, it was an odd feeling because I felt depressed, as I, you know, as I do often. And, uh, but at the same time, it was such a very nice night out. It was a very nice night for a drive. And I remember thinking how good that felt to feel the wind and, and driving around. And even though I was feeling depressed, it was, it was a weird feeling, you know, to kind of feel the, the high and low like that together. That drive kind of got the ideas flowing. And uh, that's where much of that came from, just kind of, thinking while driving on that particular night the way the weather hit me and the way i was feeling wish there was something deeper than that but that's all it really took to get me going sometimes it's the simplest things that inspire you and then i had to think of a way to tie it into the pop culture theme since we had this whole concept going so that's where the humpty dumpty aspect of it came in i said well let me let me put like a nursery rhyme or something you know some sort of character related thing in here so it kind of fits with the rest of the tracks and i think it really fucking worked so that's nobody quite like me let's take a listen you know i keep comparing uh songs on this album to songs from indoor recess and i would compare this one to a selfish prayer one of two more kind of personal songs to me like more uh of a reflection i guess you could say instead of writing about a topic. I was obviously 25 years old when I wrote this. Wow, holy shit. Damn. That's sad. And there's that gentle breeze I was talking about. See, I was really getting in touch with my soul that night. I'm not going to get too detailed on what these lyrics mean because they're a little personal to me. But yeah, um, I've always felt like I had things going on that other people can't relate to. And it just is a kind of a hopeless feeling when you feel like there's no real escape from it. I'll just put it that way. I'm sure we all feel that way, though, but... Just a very personal thing, you know. You always think you're the only one that feels a certain way. and It's a lonely feeling. 
And this was just, uh, I guess, feeling like um, everything I'd done in my life up until this point really hadn't brought me to the places I thought they would, and I really just didn't know who I was. It's quite a depressing song, actually. Feeling, I think I was feeling kind of bad about myself when I wrote this. Feeling like I probably coulda, shoulda, woulda done more of myself to help people or something. Yeah, I always loved how this song has like a more of an electronic, you know, dare I say, like pop feel to it. But then it's got a very, very hard hitting, simple, heavy riff in the choruses here. That's what I always loved about this. Much slower pace than the rest of the stuff we do. It's just a, a different kind of song. And I, I think you always want to have unique songs so you don't do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's just me feeling like I can't really connect with any group of people. I've always kind of felt that way. I don't really fit into any type of crowd. I'm not a loner, but I just always feel like I'm never with my type of people. If that makes sense. I think everybody, a lot of people have little cliques. And I never really found mine. It's a John Beeler, Pink Floyd solo right there. I used to refer to it as. I think Dan just didn't get, Dan didn't feel like writing a solo or something. So John, this is the only solo that John ever did, and it's 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 a cool solo. Very good work, John. Yeah, and at the end here, I bring in the um, the the whole Catholic thing again, like I did in Heaven Can't Help Us don't know why I'm trying to think why I tied that into it probably because that's how I was raised um, that that's like you know forgiveness you know that you can be forgiven for everything and I felt like uh, I couldn't really be forgiven for who I was yeah like no no prayers no no God it's gonna make me feel any different I guess Yeah, very depressing song, actually. More depressing than I remember it being, because now that I'm really focusing on the lyrics. And before anybody starts thinking, oh boy, is this guy off his rocker? What the f-? I mean, this is what's art. This is what art is for, right? I mean, it's to express yourself. So that's the beauty of art. You can really find a way to express things that maybe you just sit inside your whole life and kind of feel shitty about. So it's a release of some sort. Yeah, we're going to pause it here. There is no interlude there. It goes right into Utopia Burning. But before we do that, let me just uh, wrap that one up. Yeah, so that's one of the rare songs that was just kind of wrote based off of feeling. There isn't really a, a story to it or there isn't a particular event that it's about. It's just uh, about the way I feel or I felt, I should say. Um, at the time so yeah that was it was cool i don't i'm not really good writing that those types of songs I, i've tried to do it before it's hard for me to kind of get in touch with that and it always kind of comes across a little cheesy when i try to do that i would like to do it in the future more 
but that's just not my it's not my thing so it worked on that one and it was cool to do a song like that songs called nobody quite like me and there's like i said there's no other song quite like that so this is the last track coming up utopia burning this song is one of the oldest songs we ever wrote this was uh, supposed to be an indoor recess it was probably i want to say one of the first three or four songs we wrote back in toilet talk when we were stir- when we became like an industrial band uh, and this kind of just hung around for years it was uh dan wrote this one on guitar i always thought it was one of his best songs as far as guitar work we always knew you wanted to use it i don't know why it got cut from indoor recess but we definitely knew we were going to use it that was one of the first songs we were pretty certain would would appear on the pop culture massacre a very very historic cod song i think that's probably one of the reasons we decided to end the album with it it had been uh lingering on for years and it finally saw its day very cool song this one always reminded me like you know early 90s like ministry type of thing Yeah, this is a great song. It's on the guitar, really. We, this is a people used to come by and just watch Dan play this. You know, without the band, he would just play on a guitar and blow people's mind. <laughs> Welcome to the land of misery. Well, that's probably why I thought of the old ministry, but um, was that land of rape and uh, honey or something? Yeah, and this song, it's cool because this ends the album and there's probably the most pop culture references in this song. There's just everything you can think of is in here. And this is a song about how wonderful America is, if you can't figure it out. Isn't that the fucking truth? Chuck E. Cheese, Ronald McDonald. Oh, he, Ronald McDonald had a second uh, appearance. This is, oh, that's a that's a fucking great statement. All these sports assholes making millions of dollars playing games while people are working forty hours can barely pay their fucking rent. What a beautiful place we live in. We really got our priorities straight. I rewrote this chorus a lot through the years, and uh, I'm glad I settled on this. Life is just one long commercial that can sell to me. Wow, that's gotten even worse. Yeah, this is a really cool... Someone I don't think we we used to try to play this live way back in the day before this album came out and I think we just fuck it it was I, we could never get the whole band on board with this people are having a hard time with this one for some reason so probably would have been awesome live I always loved this part here. Let me see if I can remember it before it comes. I think it's racist Abe tried to save the slaves and Washington wore a wig on his head. What's the rest? The home of the free, land of the... What? 
freedom rings equally. But right now all the phones are dead. <laughs> this was before Ventana. This would have been a good uh, song for Ventana too. This would have worked well on uh, American Survival Guide. Volume one, I should say, because I'm still, it's a part of me way deep inside that hopes there'll be a volume two one day. I can hold my breath waiting for that, but I would certainly be on board. Oh, this fucking chorus. There's those orchestra hits. We used to use a lot of the, Yeah, that's how you know this is an old song, because <laughs> we used some of the original programming on this. This is... Uh, I love the end. This is a pop culture mashup here. Holy shit. Toilet duck. And there you go. There's a nice summary of everybody that's wrong in America. There you have it, folks. That is the Pop Culture Massacre in the End of the World sing-along songbook. And let me just talk about that end for a minute <clears throat> before we uh, wrap this up. At the end there, um, great way to end the album. It was a, a reference to all the people that we th thought could potentially sue us. We can all suck my big, fat American dick. Uh, and then it was Mark's brilliant idea to put Paris Hilton in there. We've, I think we've talked about this in another episode, but that was her saying that's hot. At the time, she was trying to trademark that, I mean, which is the most ridiculous thing because everybody says that, but this fucking asshole thought that she had some exclusive rights to it, like so creative. So we thought that would kind of antagonize her a little bit. And uh, that USA number one with the explosion at the end, that was this, um, I think it was, I don't know if it was me that had it. We had some, it was like, forget its name it was like a, a patriotic bear like a plushed bear that had like a american flag hat on and, and it said that usa number one so we uh we used it for that and that's utopia burning so yeah that was the uh the pop culture massacre i'm not trying to sound like uh um you know i'm arrogant or anything but i really think it's it's a fucking great album I think it was just done very well. I think the whole uh, the whole package, like I said, the art, the lyrics, the music, the presentation, the way we put it all together, I think it was our finest work. And, you know, I would have, uh, we were really pushing for a record deal, and, and I, it would have been really interesting to see what would have came after that, you know, to follow that right up, right away, to have some real money coming in. Because I don't think people understand that we work on such a small budget. I mean with recording mixing and mastering okay <laughs> we usually had about five thousand dollars to work with that might sound like a lot of money to some people keep in mind a band like mushroomhead for example mid-sized band they typically what i don't quote me on this but from what i've heard they typically get about a hundred thousand dollars for an album now they do a lot of that in-house so, which is great because they, 
you know, anything they don't spend, they I guess they would get to keep because they're doing the work themselves. But imagine having $100,000 for an album compared to having 5000 I mean, can you imagine what the fuck we could have done with that much fucking money? And I always hoped it would happen. So all our albums were very, very, very low budget. They were self-produced. Uh, and I always had, a, you know, still to this day, it was one of the things that bothers me most about CODs. I just wanted one album that was produced, that had a full budget. I'm not talking like fucking Metallica budget here. I'm talking like I just said, like a mid-size band, you know. I mean, God, I'm sure Metallica gets millions to fucking make an album. I mean, we, we, we would mix a song in a few hours where other bands are probably taking weeks to mix just one song. So it is what it is. I mean, we kept thinking that uh, our 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 own efforts here independently would would pay off and we would get the attention of someone else and they would they would dump a bunch of money into us and and uh, we get a real producer and everything but it never happened so considering that i think it's a fucking phenomenal album i think we all did a great job on it mark did outstanding work as always uh, jeff from peerless did a great job mastering it travis did an unbelievable job with the art blew me the fuck away everybody showed up and uh it was on their a game for this one thank you to everybody that was involved with this thank you so much to the fans because this is certainly from what i've gathered your favorite album i'm sorry that the cd is not available and uh whatever you do don't buy it unless you really 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 want it don't buy it from somebody for like a hundred dollars on amazon and ebay it's ridiculous you can download this still you know, on iTunes for 10 bucks or whatever it is. This was a lot of fun. I think I, uh, I feel like I did a lot of rambling during this one, but I guess that's why we're all here, right? I'm supposed to fucking talk about everything and not supposed to be here, sit here and be quiet. Uh, and I do apologize that there's been a, uh, a pretty long delay in the episodes. It's, it's been probably over a month since the last uh, episode. So I do have some more that are, pretty much ready to go so uh there shouldn't be much of a gap between this when this is released and probably the next two episodes so you'll see uh we'll be rolling those out pretty uh consistently now that we're back and we still have many many more episodes to come i'm going to be doing operation satan just like this and uh, we got tpcm2 and i have uh other guests coming up all kinds of fun shit for you so Keep on coming back. And we're going to end this with uh, an unreleased song. And there's no vocals on this, but all the programming's done. Dan, I think it was just Dan, but he had all the guitars recorded. So it was right there, ready for the studio, ready for me to put vocals on. So it's just kind of cool to hear it. This song, if I remember correctly, I, I can't seem to find anything else. I think this was the only song that we had and didn't use for this album. So I thought it'd be cool to let you hear that. This was supposed to be on the Pop Culture Massacre, and it sadly never made it. But you can hear it now. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time.